Pandora's prospects? Gloomy. And can simple price generics topple your favorite brands? This is episode 67 of Media Unplugged, the podcast that goes behind the spin to reveal what's really happening in media. Media Unplugged with Tom A. Sacker and Mark Ramsey. Welcome to Media Unplugged. I'm Mark Ramsey. And I'm Tom A. Sacker. Tom, Pandora's prospects gloomy. I, it hurts my heart to even say those words. You know I'm a big fan of Pandora. You know I've worked with Pandora in the past. This is from a, a piece in Barron's. Uh, and the title is, by the way, if you're an investor, is very disconcerting. Pandora, what are they now, asks Morgan <laughs> Stanley. Because I got to tell you, if Morgan Stanley doesn't know, I certainly don't know, right. right? Here's how the thing opens. Pandora's relief from cash worries with a big infusion from Liberty Media and SiriusXM. Liberty Media owns a majority stake in SiriusXM. I mean, the company's got a shot at capitalizing on its 80 million users to get more ad dollars, according to Morgan Stanley. Now, my first question is, wait a minute, they didn't have a chance to capitalize on 80 million users before a cash infusion from SiriusXM? Whether the company uh, companies attempt to compete for subscription business against Spotify uh, is an open question, since analyst Ben Swinburne. So that's been their recent initiative. As you know, Tom, is they open, they create a premium tier, and they say now you can, um, uh, you can access music on demand the way you can on Spotify. It's just several years later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they ask in this, what is Pandora going forward? And they conclude the answer will become, quote, more clear, end quote, in six months' time. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. That was pretty clear. I'll tell you what, and I felt bad. It was in, truly uninspiring to hear Pandora, who was a. Mu- I mean, they're they're the, the music streaming pioneer, right? They sure are. And they are. were referred in the article as a big user base with room to grow its share of advertising. <laughs> that's the end all and be all, the sum total of all development of technology, brand. Habits, everything, uh, equity, everything. A big, it sounds like a big lemon to be squeezed for the juice that it provides. <laughs> no, and I tell you, and that's what I think we're going to see is you're going to see now an aggressive sales push. It's going to result in more ads to those 80 million passive listeners of the free ad supported version. That's what you're going to see. And in the short term, it's going to make the numbers look better and maybe drive up the stock price a bit. I mean, don't you think? But? But <laughs> we're talking about the brand because over time, those additional ads are going to cause those passive users to wake up. I mean, at least in environments where they're not used to so many ads. I've got Pandora, for example, streaming on my Amazon mm-hmm. Echo device. Mm-hmm. And it's it's mm-hmm. passive. And, it's, and I, you know, mm-hmm. there aren't that many ads, so it doesn't really affect me and i just let it run and i let it play but as soon as there are too many ads or as soon as it's a little irritating i all i have to do is just tell the the device ah play amazon prime uh, music mm-hmm. so, you see what i mean and if they wake yes, if they words, wake me up i'm gonna switch in other words amazon prime music something you're already paying for for a different context anyway right and the 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 uninterrupted music comes for free. Exactly. With the invest, because you're paying to get free shipping on toilet paper, um, uh, uh, uninterrupted music comes for free. Yeah, and and I can do the and, same thing. I can have a station that plays music similar to this music. 
Now, Pandora's wish, of course, Pandora's expectation, their desire, I guess I'd put it, is that if they push away usage, they're going to push it away to their own premium tier. But I don't think there's any evidence of that. All the evidence I've seen and heard indicates to date that a tiny, tiny proportion of Pandora users are using the premium tier. Um, And the reason, of course, is that's not what Pandora is famous for, and that's not what people are going to Pandora for. For people interested in that, that, there's another platform called Spotify. They know how to use it. They know where it is. They know what it's famous for, and they're going there. This is the same problem that Apple Music has and why it's so far behind Spotify besides their immense tentacles into everyone's digital life. The reason is that there's another brand. It's there. It's been doing it longer. It's famous for what it right. does, and it does it really well. So, in and I would guess that the greater likelihood, if Pandora sheds users because of growing ad inventory, they're not going to shed it to their own premium product. They quite possibly, quite probably, will shed Spotify, it to Spotify. Yeah. Like I said, Spotify or maybe Amazon Prime's music service, if people have Prime. Look, the big unknown to me, and, and you probably have way more insight into this than me, is what are people going to do with Pandora in, in, in their connected cars when they're running it mm-hmm. in their cars? Are they going to view it as a form of terrestrial radio and, th- and then just kind of deal with the ads? I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, they will, but then the more it's on par with terrestrial radio, the less reason I have to go to Pandora instead of terrestrial radio. I mean, if they start... Remember, one of the big advantages of Pandora historically has been its incredibly uh, diminished ad clutter relative to radio. Um, You're absolutely right that... I mean, that says right here in the the piece... Um, uh, 2018 to 20 should be achievable through a combination of rising ad load, there it yep. is, and rising ad prices as, as Pandora continues to target the $15 billion terrestrial radio market and even larger mobile display market. Well, my first question is, with a smaller ad load, why can't you get rising ad prices? Isn't that what scarcity is about? <laughs> Once you reduce that scarcity, what makes you think you're going to get rising ad prices as you increase the ad load? And that, uh, and to say nothing of the fact that, as you indicate quite clearly, a greater ad load will result in less listening. This is something that concerns them very greatly right I now. Their, their usage for the past three years, Tom, has been stagnant at around 80 million users. Mm-hmm. Their listening, the amount of time people spend with the service, has been up very slightly. So in other words, they're doing a slightly better job of eking out a little more time from the same number of users, but that's not a good thing long-term because once you start interrupting that experience with more advertising, that average usage is going to go down and then you risk your total number of users declining because they can't mask it because the churn just isn't in their favor anymore. There aren't new people to come in. And as you know, one of the problems that Pandora has is it's it's essentially U.S. only. They have no international right, tentacles, exactly. and their ability to grow internationally is little to none. So it's it's really a long-term problem. It really makes me sad for the brand in the long run. And you're right, the verbiage is here in the piece. As far as the newer premium subscription-based music offering, Swinburne is not expecting they have a big success competing with Apple and Amazon and Spotify. Here's what he says. There are both offensive... The subscription music market is booming and defensive. It may cut into ad-supported listing reasons for Pandora to offer a premium subscription product. The argument for cutting its losses and exiting premium on demand stems from the competitive dynamic. Hmm. So they're already suggesting the option 
that Pandora simply cut its losses. They ha- I don't even think they've been in it for a year yet. Well, they don't believe in the strategy. They don't believe in the strategy, and not coincidentally, of course, Tim Westergren, founder of Pandora, just left the CEO. And that was his strategy when he came back. <laughs> this was his main, right, this was his main uh, objective, was to build out this capability, but I think they saw the metrics come in, they started to freak out, the investors started to melt down, and now everyone's uh, considering a lemon to be squeezed. It's, it's really it sad. Is. You're listening to Media Unplugged with Tom Asacker and Mark Ramsey. Tom. Can simple price generics topple your favorite brands? That sounds like a question that nobody's ever asked before. <laughs> this is an interesting piece, isn't it? <laughs> I just love this piece because I thought it was, and you and I never discussed these things in advance, but I thought it was so wrongheaded at every level. It's from the Wall Street Journal. And the title is, The $3 Peanut Butter Club Startup to Test the Power of Brands. Ooh, you could just you could just feel the brands shaking in their boots. Can't Listen, you? somebody thought it made sense because they uh, how not, they they got tens of millions of dollars in investment money. They got fifty million dollars <laughs> in funding from investors, including the New Enterprise Associates and Google Ventures. And I want to mention their names because I want everyone to know who needs to be properly humiliated <laughs> within the next three to six years. Okay, it is those two entities. The company is called Brandless. <laughs> Which sounds an awful lot like brainless, but I'll, oh, I'll let boy, you we're figure that out. From this sponsor, huh? Um, <laughs> Sponsored by brought brandless. Brought to you by brandless. Yeah. By the way, anytime you call a, a, a brand brandless in order to indicate that it's not at all like a brand, your intention is clearly to make it exactly like a brand. Am I right, Tom? Yep, exactly. It's so it's a San Francisco-based startup. Because where else would this idea come from? Uh, and plans to start selling generic health and environmentally conscious consumer staples such as fluoride-free toothpaste and organic agave nectar. Everything will be priced at $3. I love that. (laughs) The business model cut out supermarkets and traditional marketing, funneling that money instead towards making products that compete with pricier name-brand counterparts. (laughs) So I don't know, Tom. I want to give you a moment just to breathe and talk to me about this. I think this is so wrong-headed at every level. But I want to hear from you first. So... First of all, we've talked many times about the collapse of the various barriers to to marketplace entry and how that's going to lead to a proliferation of brands. So do I believe that? Absolutely. Is Brandless a poster child for this? I don't think so. And and let me explain what's going on here. So I certainly understand the audience thereafter because I, I have two daughters that are in their audience. Everyone's trying to capture the attention and the loyalty, I mean, a.k.a. the habits, of digitally savvy millennials. Because these are people who are looking for simplicity, convenience, and they won't hesitate to, to go online and click on a button and have, have prepared meals and premium pet supplies shipped to their apartments. I've seen this mm-hmm. stuff coming to my daughter's apartment. I get it. <laughs> I get it. But let me see if I understand the business model and the value proposition of Brandless, which, as their website makes clear, is better stuff, fewer dollars. It's that simple. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I go on to the site for $3 for any product, right? Any product, from maple syrup to a serrated bread knife, $3. I go to the mm-hmm. website. I click on organic extra virgin olive oil. It comes up eight and a half ounces for $3. I say, okay. Mm-hmm. So I just go in and I Google eight and a half ounces organic extra virgin olive oil to see what pops up. What pops Mm -hmm. up is a generic 
their generic product and a branded version, which Walmart will ship to me for the same price. <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking, I'm going, okay. Well, wait, how much is the Walmart version? Same three dollars. Oh, same yeah, price. So, okay. you know, it's like I, 16 point something ounces for, you know, under six bucks or something. And I went, mm -hmm. it's the same price. So I said, okay, all right, I don't, maybe I don't get this. So I clicked on the serrated bread knife for $3. Mm -hmm. And I looked at it and I couldn't even figure out what it was. It was just, it showed a black handle and a blade. I said, it didn't say mm -hmm. much else. So I went to Amazon mm -hmm. and I clicked on serrated bread knife and I was overwhelmed by the choices and prices. And mm -hmm. my mind starts thinking, wait a minute. I guess I don't want a cheap-ass bread knife. And that's what the brandless knife appeared to be. It didn't look like better stuff. It just looked like a cheap knife. Well, that was one thing I was going to ask, was where's the evidence that this is better this stuff? Where's the incentive to create better stuff? And anytime you debrand something, you take away one of your, your mechanisms to communicate that something actually is better. And who's going to trust a startup out of San Francisco to come up with 80, 90, 100 categories of stuff all better than what you can get at the same price well, This is else. what I'm saying. So, the, so if you looked at those two examples, right? So the value of brandless is not in the cost savings because that better organic extra virgin olive oil, I could find that somewhere else for the same price. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it's not in the fact that the product's differentiated, right? Because it's, it's not. It's, like I said, it's, a it's generic. generic. So it's not differentiated. It's not lower priced. Then what is it? Well, is it easier to get? <laughs> no. No, no, no right? because look, most of the stuff that you do look at that you say, oh, $3, that's a deal. They're stocked out of those. So the, so the <laughs> smart people that went, I'm going to buy a case of this stuff, they bought the case and now no one can get it. So, all right. Okay, so let me tell you what I think is going on. Are people going to try this thing? Sure. I don't think they're going to fear that they're going to get substandard quality. I don't believe that. They believe that they're going to get the quality that they're paying for. Do I think they're going to turn brandless into a habit, you know, like they do with other brands? I can't. I can't pinpoint the value in doing that and turning over that decision-making to brandless. Mm -hmm. But see, I think maybe you and I are missing the brandless strategy altogether because maybe what they're doing, maybe they're going to be offering products as – now, I know this sounds crazy as hell because I remember there was a commercial – that used to play years ago in California at some auto dealership. And he said, come on down. We sell everything below cost. We make it up on volume. Mm -hmm. I think that's what they're going to do. I think they're going to offer this stuff as basically lost leaders in an attempt to capture consumers in a database, email addresses, credit card numbers, shipping addresses, preferences, all in an attempt to sell that data and that relationship to some brick and mortar retailer that knows it needs mm -hmm. to get moving into the direct-to-consumer digital market space. I think that that's what's going on. Well, that's a very devious strategy, and I'm going to explain to you why it's not going to work. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> because Brandless is ignoring the most important brand, and it's the one you mentioned, and that brand is called Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, Tom, why in the world... If this had any value at all, if this had any juice at all, would Amazon not kill this dead? Amazon, as you know, has its own line of generics mm -hmm. called Amazon Basics. They are, based on the ones I've used, perfectly serviceable substitutes for other branded items. 
They are as easy to get as any branded item, and they have the same name that you trust for almost everything else you buy from Amazon, namely Amazon's. There's also um, the cost. So that's the habit factor and convenience factor, right, in Amazon's favor. Um, The quality factor, frankly, I'm going to trust Amazon before a startup out of San Francisco with a bunch of guys in a garage called Brandless for quality anyway. So there's the quality factor. Third is the cost. Well, if you look at the the cost arrangement for Brandless, shipping is $9 or free for orders of $72 or more. Anybody who pays 35 bucks a year membership fee gets free shipping on orders of $48 or more. Now, all of that is really complicated, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm sure none of that even stuck with you. But the point is that this is way worse than Prime. If you are a Prime member, and as you just indicated, you're a Prime member for all kinds of reasons that have nothing to do with your exactly. groceries. Um, the fee for Amazon Fresh, which is their equivalent of this, is $15 a month. That gets you free delivery on any order over $40. So just because you're watching Man in the High Castle (laughs) (laughs) or getting free delivery on books, just because you're paying that amount, for an extra 15 bucks a month, you get free delivery for anything over $40. You get to get Amazon Basics. You get to get any premium item you want in addition to Amazon Basics, which you cannot get through Brandless. You get to get an infinite array of choices, which you cannot get through Brandless, and you get not to have to worry. You 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 get not to have to worry about what is this brand called Brandless? What do I know about it? Why should I trust it? Why do I need to sign up with it? I'm already signed up with Amazon. In other words, th- it, to the degree that this thing gets any traction at all, it only proves the opportunity for Amazon Basics and Amazon Fresh and Amazon will squash it. And- no, I I hear you. I hear you. But I, like I said, this is what I believe is going on. I mean, you tell me what you want to believe. I'll 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 read you two mm-hmm. things that that the that the co-founder said or wrote, okay? And you tell mm-hmm. me which one mm-hmm. you believe. So remember, she's a co-founder, Tina Sh- Sharkey. She's a Sherpa Capital Venture Partner. She's a serial digital entrepreneur. She said most CPG companies don't have any relationship with consumers. Okay, that's, mm-hmm. so she said that. Now, she wrote on, she published on Medium on Tuesday. Listen to this, and you tell me which one you believe. For us, Brandless is about more than any individual product we sell. It's about the true democratization of goodness. <laughs> Okay. Let me was the first one. The first quote was for the Wall Street Journal. The second one was for Medium, right? right was for Medium. Okay, I I would never have guessed that otherwise. <laughs> so um, call me cynical, but I think what she, she means is the first one, not the second one. I think she means the first one, but I don't think the first one is true because you know and I know that that the that wrapped up in the whole value and meaning of a brand is a relationship with consumers. In fact. Brand equity is defined in some sense as a relationship with consumers. That's different from saying, yes, I have your email address, but it doesn't mean I don't have a relationship with yeah, you. She means digital direct to consumer. I will make a prediction with you right now. This thing won't make mm-hmm. any money. They might get a lot of customers, and then they're going to sell all that to Target. That's my... And, and my prediction is that, no, they don't make any money. <laughs> No, they don't get a lot of customers, and no, Target doesn't buy. 
Well, they have the two predictions. <laughs> okay, it's time for rants and raves, Tom. What do you have this week? Well, you week? know what? I didn't even do a rant or rave because after reading those two pieces, I said, you uh-huh. know, I've got to just emphasize, I mean, Pandora's challenge and the whole brandless launch. I want to emphasize again the nature of the marketplace, which is no different mm-hmm. than the nature of life. And hopefully it'll help some confused and frustrated executives and entrepreneurs. And this is it. And we've talked about it. Everything. And I mean, every single decision that people make is driven by desire. So marketplace Mm -hmm. success is about creating a compelling exchange of value, which you couldn't see, by the way, in either of those two cases. And by the Mm -hmm. way, today, doing that in a complex, really fast-moving environment. So even if you're looking for someone to return your phone call, and they're not, like they don't for me, don't take it personally. Mm-hmm. Try to remember the nature of their chaotic, anxiety-filled lives. Recognize that you had better make it highly desirable, really easy. And listen, I'm not trying to be cynical, but there is no such thing as pure altruism. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't even think people realize the funny paradox of this guy. Do you remember this Adam Grant's popular book, Give and Take? Oh, I never All read right. it. His thesis is, is that giving unselfishly to colleagues or clients will lead to one's own long-term success. Mm -hmm. Do you see the paradox? It's not unselfish (laughs) if it's leading to your long-term success. So don't take this personally. Understand how the environment works, how everything's connected. Figure out how to weave unique value into and throughout that environment. And again, we're not hardwired for altruism. We're hardwired for self-interest. I mean, I remember I heard a story about a bunch of kindergartners, and they're on a school trip, and this little girl brings the bus driver a handful of peanuts, and he's surprised, and he's touched, and he thanks her. And then 10 minutes later, she, she comes up and does it again. And, and wow. And then she returns again with another handful of peanuts. And the third time, the bus driver says to her, honey, you and your friends can share and enjoy these. You don't have to bring them to me. And she says, oh, no, no, we just like to suck the chocolate off of them. (laughs) There's no such thing as pure altruism. We just got to get over it. (laughs) This is the handful of peanuts episode. Oh, boy, that is unbeatable. Uh, You should have gone second. No, go ahead. Um, So I I found this piece in Neiman Lab, um, and the title is, it's about a new uh, website which calls itself an IMDb for podcasts. It's called Pod Chaser, uh, you know, which is, I think it's trying to uh, more liquidity chaser, but I'll, I'll uh-huh. leave that for another conversation. Pod Chaser, an IMDb for podcasts, is building a big tags-based database to help people discover shows. You know, usually I don't look for titles with tags-based database in the title, but I made an exception this time. So I, this is the thing, you know, Everyone is arguing that, oh, iTunes is just not doing a good enough job surfacing my podcast, right? We need a place to, that, that facilitates discovery. Quote, one of our big advantages is we're trying to build this bottom-up feature-wise. We're talking to 100 different podcasts and tons of listeners is an, and asking, ask, asking exactly what they want. Well, Tom, <laughs> the only people who feel it's a problem to discover podcasts are those who create podcasts that aren't discovered. Consumers don't have this problem. This is by far the biggest myth 
in the audio space right now that everyone's, you know, frustrated. They walk into their office, they turn to their associate, <laughs> and they say, you know what? I just wish I could discover podcasts more effectively. That doesn't happen. And here's how the piece opens. One of the most common gripes about Apple among podcasters, particularly those with smaller audiences, is that the company hasn't done enough to solve the industry's discovery problem. Discovery. <laughs> While podcast listening continues to climb, it does so unevenly. Apple's top podcast charts are perpetually dominated by a shuffling but largely identical list of shows, all from established media brands. This American Life, Planet Money, etc., etc., etc. The podcast discovery is broken, Maxim. Now frustratingly familiar has spawned no shortage of efforts to solve it, and the latest is this particular um, this particular platform called Podchaser. So, in other words, Tom, you know, we don't understand consumer psychology and the nature of hits. And we think that the reason why our podcast with, they say, you know, a thousand or less, but I think the reality is probably a hundred or less listens. The reason why that's not being discovered is because there's a problem with discovery. It's not just not well enough surface. We need something more like IMDB. And what I think people <laughs> miss is the fact that... <laughs> The, the people aren't looking for your obscure uh, documentary on IMDb. They're looking for Wonder Woman. You know, they're digging deep on Wonder Woman. They're digging deep on the hits. Every platform is ultimately about the hits. Every platform is about its Listen, hits. I, why? How can content be differentiated from other products in such a way that they can even use that word? And uh, discovery, it, with it, it being an issue, and I'm just trying to I'm trying to picture like this head of marketing going into the a board meeting with the CEO, you know, and they sell peanut butter and they said sales mm -hmm. just going nowhere. We, we have a discovery problem. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly the an the analogy. I mean, it says in here the biggest complaint you hear from podcasters, podcasters, mind you is that the majority of them are only getting 1,000 listens per episode. They're on iTunes, but the shows are in the super broad categories where people can't find them. That's the problem, Tom. People can't find the show because if only they could find it, they would embrace it, they would listen to it, they would come back again and again, they would subscribe to it, and you would have 100,000 listeners rather than 1,000 listeners, or more likely, I think, for most of these podcasters, two or 300 listeners. It just never ceases to amaze me that this myth exists. It, it, it's just, it, oh, listen to this. The initial idea <laughs> Year for this site emerged last year when one of the co-creators, one of the founders, asked members of the um, uh, Reddit, uh, the subreddit on podcasts. Okay, so they went to Reddit, which itself is a, a niche platform. Then they went to the subreddit for podcasts, which only talks to people that are active in the podcast space. And the question they asked was, why is it still so hard to find new podcast episodes? Not surprisingly... <laughs> Everyone agreed. <laughs> it's like if you go into a room where everyone's cold and say, is anyone cold? <laughs> oh, man. So I just find it incredibly frustrating. Look, every category is going to have its hits. If your podcast isn't catching on, don't assume the reason is discovery. Maybe you're just not that good. Look, Mark, here's here's the deal. and I And I know what the what the comeback is. If you really believe that, that you have a discovery problem and that it has nothing to do with the quality of the, of the show, advertise the hell out of it. Right. right? 
Then you will know. Let people listen to one episode. Get them, get them to experience it. And then you'll know. But Tom, as the movie said, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> yeah, it works with baseball stadiums, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it works in the exactly. movies. Um, but not for the movies because they have their own hits, I might right. add. That's Media Unplugged for this week. Please remember to subscribe to us at iTunes or on Stitcher. And while you're there, please rate the show. It helps other folks discover us. <laughs> you can also catch us at art19.com, Radio Inc., Media Village, and Google Play Music. You can follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Asacker and Mark at Mark Ramsey Media. Send us your questions and comments using hashtag Media Unplugged. If there's a media topic you want us to cover, tweet us. Catch up on older episodes at our website, mediaunplugged.net. Older, we should call them classic episodes, Tom. Discover, the, no, you should say discover our episodes. Discover, you're absolutely <laughs> right. Discover older episodes. Because, you know, there are a lot of things, you and I always go back and forth on this, that we go back to older episodes and all of a sudden we uncover something that all of a sudden, you know, boom, Taylor Swift is back on Spotify. Look, if, if I were, a, if I were a, like a, a stockbroker, an analyst, I'd be listening to every one of our shows because we predict all every this episode. stuff. Every episode. You know, the problem is that we have a discovery problem. <laughs> thanks, Special thanks to the producer of Media Unplugged, Jeff Schmidt. Exciting audio for media, and it really is. You can find him at jeff-schmidt.com. For Tom Asacker, I'm Mark Ramsey, and thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>